morning, I thought it would be kind of fun. Um, we'll get it. You're smiling up there at me. I thought it'd be fun uh, to begin with a little bit of a game. So I hope that's okay with you. I made it up myself, so I hope it's kind of fun. I like to call this game Law or Not. Say that with me. Law or Not. Audience participation. Good. Okay. So there's going to be some laws um, up on the screen. That screen's not on. And I'm going to read them to you. And then you have to guess if it is a law with a thumbs up. Or if it's not a law with the thumbs down, and they're kind of silly. So here's the first one. In Decatur, Illinois, it's against the law to drive a car without a steering wheel. Do you think that's a law or not? Thumbs up, thumbs down. Oh, pretty mixed. Let's see. It is a law. It seems silly, but it is a law. Okay, here's another one. In Springfield, Illinois, it's illegal to buy a fountain drink from one restaurant and bring it into another. Is that a law or not? Ooh, we're pretty, pretty consensus. Okay, let's see. It's not. I made it up. It might be a little rude, but, you know. Okay, next one. In Galesburg, yeah, Galesburg, Illinois, it's illegal to burn a bird feather. Law or not? Ooh, we're pretty mixed again. Let's see. It is a law. Crazy. I know. We got to protect those birds. Okay. In Kirkland, Illinois, bees are not allowed to fly through the village or through any other streets. Is that a law or not? Law or not? Let's check. It is a law. Aren't these ridiculous? I think these are so silly. Okay. This is the last one. Last one. In Greenville, Illinois, I had to throw my Greenville in there, it is illegal to drive with a raccoon in the passenger seat. Law or not? Oh, kind of mixed. It's not. I made that one up. I just thought that was silly. Okay, awesome. So today we are beginning a short sermon series titled Summer in the Psalms. Yeah, it's exciting. It's up there. Okay. And what better place to start than the beginning of Psalm? I think that's a pretty great place. So I invite you to listen as I read from Psalm 1. And this is from the passage translation. I find it very poetic. What delight comes to the one who follows God's ways. He won't walk in the step with the wicked, nor share the sinner's way, nor be found sitting in the scorner's seat. His pleasure and passion is remaining true to the word of I am. Meditating day and night in the true revelation of light. He will be standing firm like a flourishing tree planted by God's design, deeply rooted by the brooks of bliss, bearing fruit in every season of his life. He is never dry, never fainting. He's ever blessed, ever prosperous. But how different are the wicked? All they are is dust in the wind. Driven away to destruction, the wicked will not endure the day of judgment, for they will have no part with those who walk in truth. But how different is it for the righteous? The Lord embraces their paths as they move forward, while the way of the wicked leads only to doom. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Amen. Now, I recognize this is a lot to digest. It's very flowery language, very poetic. There's a lot of doom speaking of the wicked and a lot of enduring the judgment day. (laughs) 
We read definitions of both the righteous and the wicked, and so I think it's quite important for us to begin by discovering some of the lenses and frameworks that we operate under that may prevent us from understanding the beauty and even the good news found in this text. Honestly, I can remember sitting at rails, that's my new favorite place to hang out now, get some coffee, and reading this psalm over and over and over again, asking God, Where do we even start with this? How do we discuss what the life of the righteous and the life of the wicked? How do we prevent ourselves from falling into the category of legalism, of laws, and a checklist? Well, I went to church this week. Well, I read my Bible once. Well, I prayed for my kids once. How do we make this life, this righteous life, something pleasurable and enjoyable? So as we return to the first line of the psalm, it says, What delight comes from the one who follows God's ways. There have been many occasions in my life in which for some strange reason I thought I knew better than God. I knew the more logical path. I had a plan that made sense. And just in case some of you haven't found yourself in that situation yet, let me spare you some heartache and tears. God's ways are always more delightful. And so this is good news. Even if his guiding seems frightening or a little illogical, perhaps even dangerous, we get to take courage. The way he guides us, he promises, is always delightful. But notice that the psalm does not state state that his promise is easy. We do not read that the Christian life is simple and happy. We don't go about whistling all day long, peppy and cheery. Nowhere in scripture does God promise that all of our struggles and the illnesses will be instantly removed from our daily lives. That's not a promise. What he does promise is us finding delight as we seek his ways. He promises us that as we pursue his heart and his mind, and as we live our lives out according to his will, we will find fulfillment We continue reading in the Psalms, discovering that the passions and pleasures of of our hearts are found only in our obedience to the God Almighty. So let's go back to the days when we were little kids. That's just a few days for some of us, right? And I doubt that I'm an anomaly. Do you ever remember doing something for your mom or dad while they were away from the house just because you wanted to please them? In middle school, I used to make my sister drag her, and I'd make her clean the whole house with me. It was often against her will, but she did it. I wanted my mom to be able to come home and see a clean house so that she could rest the rest of the day. I wanted to live my life in such a way that pleased her and showed her my love and my gratitude for what she does. As the Holy Spirit continues to transform and inform our hearts, as we've talked about last week, our character is beginning to be shaped and we begin to desire a life that honors God. We can't help it. What could please him more than meditating and reading and reflecting on his words? This may seem religious to some, okay, like taking things off a checklist, but what if we compare it to the way we live in relationship with others? Okay, I'm I'm a little bit of a romantic over here. I'm going to admit that. Have you ever been so enamored by someone, so in awe of another human being, that you hung on to every word that they said? Do you remember repeating their sentences in your mind before you fell asleep? Maybe this is a significant other, or maybe it's a child. 
Maybe it's a dearly loved friend. Have you ever loved someone so much that they always had your full attention when they talked? What would happen if we had that kind of love for God? What if we were in such awe of his beauty and grace and his goodness, so amazed by his faithfulness, by his friendship, by his love that we hung on to every single word that he said? What if he captivated us so much that all of our delight was found in his presence? How beautiful would that be? The psalm says that he or she, with this kind of love, will be standing firm like a flourishing tree planted by God's design, deeply rooted by the brooks of bliss, bearing fruit in every season of life. He or she is never dry, never fainting, but ever blessed and ever prosperous. Let's not dismiss this passage as if it describes someone else, as if this could never describe you. Maybe you do feel dry. Maybe you're so tired and so weak you feel like you could faint at any moment. Maybe you don't feel blessed, or maybe you don't feel prosperous. Maybe you feel like everything you touch breaks. You feel like all you do is cause pain and disappointment for others. You don't feel good enough, and like you can never get anything right. So how in the world can we be a tree, a beautiful tree of fruit, one that lives by the brook of bliss? You look at me like I'm crazy when I read that passage. How could that possibly describe me? As I I mentioned before, this passage does not infer that we are living happy, easy, go-getter kind of lives. Life is difficult, and it's really, really painful sometimes. However, I can tell you from personal experience that it is in those darkest nights, the most painful experiences, that I experience the bliss of of the brook of Christ. Even when we feel like a complete failure or total loss, like we are completely insignificant, it is possible to live by the brook of bliss. It is possible to still be bearing fruit, but not by yourself. Bless you. I shared a story last week about an encounter I had with God in high school while reading scripture and journaling. And as I described my new normal routine of ending my days with God, um, that's, that was what I was describing. But this habit wasn't formed because everything was fine and dandy. I didn't fall in love with God's word because my life was easy. <laughs> I didn't become enamored and completely in awe of who God is just because I was happy and perky and positive. I started reading my Bible and praying faithfully and falling in love with God intimately because I was experiencing a radical brokenness. On some of the most darkest nights, I found delight and rest and strength in the presence of God. It was beside him that I found life. I found rescue. (laughs) It was because of him that I was able to get up the next morning and complete another day, despite the darkness that seemed to swirl all around me. Though I felt utterly out of control, and as much as my circumstances around me were out of my control, I was able just to sit with him. I was able to talk to him and learn from him. I was able to cry with him. I was able to be angry beside him. I was fully human in his presence. Fully human. I found the book of bliss. 
And it wasn't in partying or in alcohol and sex or drugs. It wasn't even in eating or not eating. It wasn't in an exercise routine or popularity. It wasn't found in work or money. This space of hope and beauty is only found in the beautiful words of our Father. (laughs) And so here we should remain. That is what our psalm is teaching us this morning. That we should remain enamored by his words, meditating and resting in his presence. This isn't a matter of the wicked versus the righteous. This isn't a rule check to make sure we're living obedient, healthy lives rooted in God's word. But later in our reading, we read that the Lord embraces, embraces their paths. He embraces the paths of those that love and honor God. Those that pursue the path of the Lord are not guided are not only guided, but also blessed as we make choices. However, it's not because God shows favoritism. It's not that he says, ooh, well, you love me, so let me bless you. But it's out of his overflowing heart. His overabundant grace and peace and desire to be close to us. It's out of that that we find our delight. And like any other relationship, the more, st- the more time we spend together, the more the two begin to share a common language. Have you ever noticed that? That the people you hang around with, you catch on to their phrases? Or, you, or maybe a child of yours has the same mannerisms? People mistake me for my mom all of the time because I have the same stature. I also move my body the same way she does, all the little quirks. Who do we look like? Who are we mirroring? Are we spending so much time just resting on every word that God says to us that we start to use his phrases? How beautiful would it be if it became a habit for us to part ways and say, may God's peace be with you as we leave? That just became normal. And maybe not even just with each other. What would it look like in our community if the language of God became so normal to our tongue that the love of God was all over Centralia, all over the areas of our workplace, that we could not help it? These passages are not about a list of things that we have to complete to earn God's favor. It's not up to us if we're going to be a fruitful tree and prosper. The laws are instructions to meditate on God's word. Described in our text this morning, they're not based on a political or even legalistic nature. Our framework this morning does not include a bunch of do's and don'ts. These laws are relational. They are covenantal even. And yet our government system in the United States is the painting that we often admire by our country. However, it doesn't take us too much to point out the flaws and the shortcomings in our justice system. We can find cracks and even injustice in our legislation. As we discovered this morning, some of our laws are pretty silly even, right? And still, this is the framework that we filter our morals and ethics. We can't help it. We're born into this country and this is the way we think. But the laws and the words of God that we are to meditate on daily are not decrees that can be understood through this American lens. Our psalm today describes a life of relationship. Oh, hallelujah. (laughs) 
the Jewish nation with whom would be reading this uh, passage during their worship understood the laws and decrees of God as a means of kinship and connection. So let's consider the parent-child relationship again. A parent loves her child, creates rules and guidelines for protection. No, a child cannot touch a hot stove or grab a curling iron. A child cannot run into the street or hit his sibling. No, a child cannot disrespect his babysitter or only eat desserts. Are these rules created to belittle or hurt the child? No. Are these, are these expectations unjust or unfair? No. Unlike some of our nation's laws, the laws of a parent are created out of love and concern for her child. These rules are made to promote a healthy relationship between parent and child. Father and daughter, father and son, mother and son, mother and daughter. God did not create laws with the Jewish people to please him or to simply control us. We are not puppets. God has no desire to take away our freedoms or lock us in a cell, but rather the opposite. God's laws are not silly like some of these ridiculous ones. Rather, his commandments are beautiful and intended to set us free from our sinful nature and our own harmful inclinations. His rules are gifted to us so that we can become rooted and planted firmly in his goodness. (laughs) But sure, at first glance... Chapter 1 of Psalm can seem difficult to digest and live out. As we have already asked, how can we be expected to always live in prosperity and always be producing fruit? What about the seasons when we feel dry and empty? Righteousness may seem like an impossible charge to achieve. If we try to make God's laws political or legalistic, then yes, this is impossible. And it will only make us feel like failures and incompetent. However, don't worry, there's a but. As we've discussed, the laws of God are given for the righteous, not as tasks, no, but beautiful guidelines and stepping stones for his children. He's not asking us to take leaps. He's not asking us to take a radical jump. He gives us stepping stones. Unlike the Jewish people in the Old Testament, We do have the Holy Spirit, and he's living within us. He's thriving within us. The old covenant has been completed through Jesus' perfect and complete sacrifice, but a new law has been given to us. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul and strength, and also love your neighbor as yourself. You've heard this. This is not a law of power or political gain. This is the law of love, a relational expectation among God's people, among us. What we read, we read that those that love God are rooted, planted, and solid ground like a tree. The wicked are dust that blow in the wind, carried away by the latest fashion, by the latest cultural expectation. There's no depth or foundational truth in which they are led. Instead, the wicked are easily swayed by human feelings and ideas. Are you rooted? Are you planted in the good garden? And lasting and mature soil. God doesn't want us to be blown away. He doesn't want that. He doesn't want us to be living life on our own. He has no desire for us to live apart from him. He's not high up in heaven wagging his finger at us. Or hiding his face in his hands ashamed of what we've done. That's not him. God is love. 
God is our place of rescue. He is our place of renewal. He's the space in which we can grow in safety. We do not need to be afraid of failure or insufficiency because he is enough. Let me say that again. He, our God, is enough. And as he lives in each of us, we too become enough. In all of our humanity. In our messes in our chaos, in the midst of heartache and gut-wrenching pain. He is enough. And as we are made in his image, we too become enough. So I will always vouch for counseling. I think it's a wonderful thing. And so throughout my own time, uh, in that season, my beloved counselor would use a lot of plants as metaphors to describe me and my heart and my mind. She described my rooting or my uprooting and even my replanting. <laughs> she called me a flower. And sure, that might seem a little girly for some of you manly men, but just go with me for a second. If we can begin seeing ourselves like the beautiful flowers in a well-kept garden, we can begin to see new truths. <laughs> Truths like, we are loved by the good gardener. I begin to recognize the seasons um, are normal and healthy. Seasons of growth when the flowers blossom. Seasons of sustenance as summer approaches and there's plenty of, of leaves and the berries are coming out. Seasons when we feel like things are kind of falling apart. Things are starting to die and prepare for winter. And the seasons of winter when there appears to be no fruit, but all of the work is taking place underground. Every season is normal and healthy. We get to be less afraid of the winter when we know that the flowers aren't actually dead. But rather they're preparing for a new spring as growth takes place. So yes, I will continue to call myself a flower. And this reminds me of my own beauty and my own strength found in the root of God. I'm planted in him. I am in his garden, and so are you that call in the name of Jesus Christ. You are also all flowers. And I'll let you decide what flower you most relate to. (laughs) But those of us that proclaim Christ as Lord, we are part of his good garden, and we are well taken care of. Will you let the gardener take care of you? Will you continue to embrace each season? Will you let him prune you? Will you let him cut off the things that are unnecessary? Will, he, will you let him pull the weeds out? Will you even let him scoop you up from the dirt, removing you from your safety only to replant you somewhere else so that you can flourish more? None of those things are easy. It's not easy being replanted. It's not easy being uprooted or having your dead leaves pulled off. And yet it's good. It's so good. So before we close, I need a little bit more participation from you all. I want you to turn to your neighbor. Find a buddy. I can be your buddy. I'll be your buddy. And I want you to just simply say to one another, you are a flower. As silly as it is, let's take some time to just do it, okay?
Perhaps over lunch today, you can discuss what kind of flower you want to be. I'll let you decide that. But let's not forget this beautiful truth. Let's not lose this mindset that that we are part of something greater than just our tiny little pot. We're not alone. We are in a garden, a garden of thousands years before and after us of saints, of other Christians, other brothers and sisters, other mothers and fathers, sons and daughters, we are part of that garden. So we are not alone. And we do experience seasons together, right? That's what being part of God's family is like. So let's continue to tell each other that we're flowers. Not because we're wimpy and weak and we're easy to be plucked. No, no, no. Flowers are strong. They last through the toughest of thunderstorms. They last through hail. And even tornadoes, plants still thrive. And we're stronger together. When we're planted safely within the gates of the good gardener's garden. God is good and he does take care of us. He is enough. And so are we because of him. Would you pray with me?